Well, welcome back, everybody, to Live Longer, the podcast, as I continue the second series, The Art of Living, hand in hand with Iona, a digital healthcare company I set up with colleagues to give the right information at the right time. And obviously, in partnership with Homerton Changemakers Programme at Cambridge University. Today, I have a fellow country lady in studio and she's a physician. She's a paediatrician trained in Ireland and through a serendipitous meeting ended up in London. And she'll tell us a little bit about that story and moved to Wales for her consultant post and was both in the hospital in Newport and at the University of Cardiff. She was one of the lead authors in the first NICE guidelines for child abuse and then subsequently went on to be one of the founders of a major charity which integrates health, social, leisure, sporting care for children with disabilities and significant needs, both physical, mental and emotional, called Sparkle. And I really can't wait to interview her and hear all about this. She was actually awarded um, an MBE by the Queen and the Honours Lists. So join me in a very warm welcome to Dr. Sabina Maguire. Sabina, welcome. Thank you very much, Millie. Well, it's great to have you. And we have, you know, it's like the Irish Mafia, as I said on previous podcasts, and a lovely friend Genevieve Larkin introduced you to me. And although we've not met in person, I feel like I've known you my whole life with the two degrees of separation between mutual friends in Ireland. Isn't that right? Absolutely. If you can't find a connection, it's hard to believe you're Irish. (laughs) I agree. And, you know, on that similar thread, I alluded to it in my introduction that you had this very lucky serendipitous moment when you were a trainee in Dublin. And this led you to move from Dublin to London and actually was the the foundation of your career as a paediatrician. Do you want to open up and tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I was working in um, Our Lady's Hospital in Crumlin in Dublin, and I had set up and arranged a residency program in the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. But my boss at the time actually didn't think this was a great idea. But unknowns to me, he rang me one day and said, look, we have a visiting professor from London, Professor Sir Eric Stroud, and I need you to bring him to the Coombe, the neonatal hospital. So I was a little thrown, not least because that meant driving in my car, which was less than pristine, arguably had some live animals possibly living in it. So I I rushed down and tried Mm -hmm. to make it look a bit smarter. And en route to the other hospital, he asked me a lot of questions about what I was interested in and my plans. And at the end of it, he asked me if I would like to come and work in King's College Hospital as an SHO. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant was unexpected to say the least and of course one wouldn't be able to progress through things in that way now but it certainly led to an immediate change in plan for me and uh, three months later I set off for King's um, where I worked for the next three years. Well that was fabulous and you know that was an important moment but it shows you were able to grasp opportunity. And how do you manage your own well-being then, Sabina? Because, I mean, we need people like you to do the guidelines properly so people aren't falsely accused, but also, more importantly, so children are are safe. So how do you stay in the field and manage your own well-being? Well, I'm blessed to have a fantastic husband, Nigel Harris, who has been an absolute rock of support. He doesn't work in the medical field, and that's probably helpful. you know, he's, he's been, as I say, an absolute rock, always there for me. And, and that's a has been a key element. And, you know, I love gardening, love the outdoors and, and I have a great network of friends. So I guess those are the ways that you, you uh, help to keep yourself grounded. 
Mm, very important. And, and that's why there's such a sparkle about you. I can detect even as we chat, which brings me on to Sparkle and um, this wonderful charity that you set up, didn't you? Shortly after you became a consultant, I think you told me you set up Sparkle for this integrated health, social, leisure, sporting care for children with disabilities. Yes, I was a clinical director in the Royal Grant Hospital, as it was then in Newport in in South Wales. And a group of parents and therapists had identified deficiencies in the care for their children with complex additional needs. And they wrote a report in 1991 called The Need is Obvious, but they weren't getting any traction. And as clinical director, they came to me and I read the report and I looked at the facilities and could see they're absolutely right. And in the naive way you do when you're young I thought well this is this is obvious we need a new children's center let's just get this done and uh, that was 1995 uh, suffice to say we did not open the doors in that center until 2011 so it was considerably harder than I had envisaged <laughs> but the advantage of taking a long time is actually we really looked in depth at what were the gaps. And the more I talked to parents and young people, the more I realized this wasn't just about having a center that had better equipment and facilities and bringing health and social care together. This is about providing for the much wider needs of families, of the dads, the mums, the siblings, and providing leisure and fun opportunities that in fact these children lack, and not just in South Wales, but around the UK. What sort of disabilities do they have, Sabina? Sorry, just to clarify for our listeners. Sure. So they may have a range of disabilities. It may be physical disabilities such as cerebral palsy, Down syndrome or other conditions like that. But I would say a very large percentage have autistic spectrum disorder or ASD. And they may have that in combination with other problems such as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD and many suffer from severe communication problems and the problem with that is that because they are unable to verbally communicate when they become anxious or upset or concerned or want to express something that can be a visible expression in terms of behavior or outbursts and that's one of the hardest things for families that many of their children's disabilities are not obvious when you look at the child or young person and therefore when they behave in a way that others find challenging, it causes great distress to everybody. Well, we were chatting before we came on air, weren't we, about that amazing story that was on the BBC last night, wasn't it? Sean Porter, who developed an app for his younger brother, Adam, to use so that he could express himself by pointing to pictures. And it's really changed their family dynamic. And it resonates back to the Turkish family in o- o- Tizimo, the app that was produced. So, you know, clearly this doesn't affect just the child. This is the wider family dynamic I'm picking up from you. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, one of the key things, you know, as a professional in health, you know, in all honesty, most health professionals think they know best for their patients and paediatricians prime among them. But the reality, as I've learned through working with Sparkle, is that you need to listen to the children and the young people themselves. And, uh, you know, in common with the app you've mentioned last night, there's a fantastic Irish business called Izzy Wheels, 
where um, the young uh, woman who has um, spina bifida was fed up with boring wheelchairs and her sister, Isabel Keane, uh, then said, well, why do you have to have such a boring wheelchair? And she's now developed these amazingly trendy wheelchairs and has recently for the first time had a tie-up with Disney. You know, I've come across this time and again you know it's about listening to the young people themselves Mm, that sounds very inspirational i'd love to interview her the keen family would be amazing but digital is becoming more and more required and it's it's how our young people communicate whether you have a disability or not so are you planning on have a digital offering in yours or is it all physical space well, we offer clubs six days a week to children from not to 18, and they range over all sorts of activities from swimming through cinema, through independent living, Minecraft, Lego, um, soft play, sports and sensory activities and certainly our team do use increasingly some of the electronic interactive tools and sometimes we use these to interpret and understand what the young person wants to tell us and sometimes they're being used as tools for young people to access equipment or activities and certainly we are currently planning another additional centre in North Gwent where we intend to have a transition hub for young young people moving to adult services and a key requirement the young people have told us is they would like us to have a digital expert who can keep them updated on all of the latest technology because this really is transforming uh, the landscape for a lot of people with disability. Mm, Maybe this is where the families can help out as well because you know to design something that really is fit for purpose. Yes, we well, our current centre, uh, the art theme uh, for the building was chosen by children and we've already run a competition. Beth and Collins, our research officer, has run a competition among the children and young people in Blyna Gwent, where we hope the new centre may be based to design a new centre there. And we have all of the details that the children and young people wish to see. And, and they're very specific. I mean, one young person told us exactly which vegetables we should be growing in our outdoor horticulture centre. Mm. Um, but you know we spend a lot of time uh, you know surveying young people's views and you know we have young people will be on the steering group as will be parents along with directors of social services and health managers. Mm, I really sensed this sense of community you were telling me that there's a playground that's for the kids and you allow local kids to come but in fact, when your kids need to use it, the local kids are, are not prioritised above them, which might be opposite to what some of these, you know, challenged children with disabilities might find if they go to the playground, they could be bullied. So it must empower your own children and make them feel important in their world. Yes, it's hugely empowering. It was very important to families that the Children's Centre, Sereni, was in a community setting and not in a hospital setting, didn't feel like a medical facility, even though it has all of the equipment they need for outpatient services. And the playground is a fully accessible playground with a wheelchair swing and a trampoline. But young people come there all the time. We also have an outdoor basketball court. But it is two aspects make it very different. Firstly, Playgrounds in public parks are only for children up to the age of 12. But of course, we have young people at 18 who still enjoy the same activities a three-year-old would. Mm. So they cannot access playgrounds in mainstream parks. And if they do, they're often either ridiculed or asked to leave. As I say, their disability may not be visible. And that 
can pose problems. Uh, um, but our um, community children, it's wonderful to watch. Children actually come from all over, in fact, from 20 miles away to use our playground because of its facilities. But um, the young people locally will either engage with our young people or move aside. And, you know, that and the Medi Cinema that we have, for instance, where we can show free films for our families. That means our kids sometimes get to see mainstream films before they're counterparts in school and that makes them feel special which is not something they usually experience in a good way mm, yeah you'll have to show izzy wheels's movie if that comes out with disney <laughs> yes yes no we try to keep up with whatever the trends are that uh, the kids like to see but uh, yeah, yeah empowering children is a, is a key part of what we're about uh, if i can tell you one story on that millie that we run a play clubs on a Saturday and uh, one Saturday, one of the mums asked our play worker if she could bring a birthday cake for her daughter the following week. And they said, of course. And the mum became a little tearful because she explained that her daughter had uh, actually tried to have birthday parties for the previous few years. But when she sent the invitations out to the other children in the class, none of the children came. Aww. So our play worker said that absolutely we would have a party and the invitations were sent and the whole thing was run as a birthday party. And, you know, one of the key things that Sparkle offers our children is the opportunity to have friends and have experiences other children take for granted. Mm, mm, yeah, and it can be so, children can be so cruel to each other, can't they? They can. They are herd animals at the end of the day and they like everybody to sort of behave in the same way. And particularly as they move towards older, you know, age groups and teenage years, they're, they are relatively intolerant of difference. And so our children, the difference between them and the other children becomes more stark. When we went to set up the first youth club, for instance, the local uh, service told me that there was no need because they had an integrated youth club. And when I said that to the young people on our advisory group, one young girl told me that she attended mainstream and she was fed up XYZ integrating all XYZ day and that she dragged herself from around this large comprehensive school. She was last to class, last to lunch, last to assembly. And she simply wanted to go somewhere where she was with other people like herself. And we started the youth club for seven children. Uh, we now run three youth clubs a week and we cannot keep up with demand. That's wonderful. And of course, you know, the families have so many needs because if there is poor behaviour or there's this upset at home. So your drop in psychological service must be incredible support to the, to the wider family community. Yeah, that was pretty crucial. And mum told me early on that she had really reached the bottom. She loved her child with every fibre of her being, but she was absolutely overwhelmed by the day to day. And she actually said to me that she reached the point where she thought she may have to go out and put her child on the pavement and walk back into the house before people realised she simply could not cope. So thanks to a big lottery grant, we spent six years developing counselling services, uh, walk-in counselling service, no referrals needed for parents, a safe space they can explore all of their emotions around their child's disability and then separately a dad's group and a sibling's group. And I'm delighted to say that the Iron Bevan Health Board took on our evaluation of that model and have now rolled out this service across the whole of Gwent. 
Wow, that's amazing. Because I was just reflecting here as you were chatting, you're covering such a breadth, you know, the community, the activities, the psychological, the hospital care. I mean, this must cost a fortune and it took 17 years to make it a reality. I mean, how did you get the funding and, and you know, how are you going to sustain it all? Is it lottery funds? Is it private donations? Is it health boards? Because it would be a shame if the community lost this amazing endeavour through a lack of sustainable funding. Yeah, it, it certainly would. I mean, for instance, in October, over 600 children accessed leisure activities and over 300 families accessed our family liaison service. And we employ four full-time staff, 67 part-time staff and another 40-odd volunteers in order to run our activities. It costs us £700,000 a year just to stand still and do what we do now. And I can tell you the demand on our service is increasing every single month. Uh, we rely, myself and the other trustees uh, give our time voluntarily, but we rely on individual donors to the Sparkle Appeal. We also rely on grants such as um, Big Lottery, Children in Need. We were grateful to the Welsh Government for uh, resilience funding during COVID when we had catastrophic drop in income. But it is very, very difficult to continue to raise that sort of money every year. We have had ideas about potentially developing online training modules, which we think we now have the knowledge and skills to do, but we would need a partner to, and indeed funding just to develop the materials. So you have your Sparkle Appeal. Who would be your ideal partner? I think ideally an online education company would be the perfect partner because, I mean, if I gave you an example, the the sort of modules that we believe we could literally develop all the materials for straight away would be how to design and build a fully integrated children's centre, how to streamline the referrals process for children with complex needs instead of being referred to nine professionals and waiting on multiple waiting lists. We've got a huge experience working with the health board and social care on that, how to support families through family liaison, helping hands, care coordination, how to develop and oversee the governance of leisure services, uh, and finally, how to actually meaningfully work in partnership with health and social care and the voluntary sector to everyone's advantage. And we think that if we could work with an online education company to develop these modules, that these could then be People could pay to undertake the module. And, you know, we also believe there are modules that we could work on on how to upskill community providers so they can better accommodate our young people within their provision. Mm, it's almost like a franchise of what you've done. And you exactly. capture that learning over the last 20 years. Exactly. As you were chatting, I thought of a, an amazing partner you could think about. It's They're called Twinkle. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they do educational resources for teachers in mainstream education. And they've raised significant funding, but they might be worthwhile reaching out to. Twinkle sure, and Sparkle, well, I can just see it in lights there. <laughs> <laughs> well, our aim is to help special children shine. And I'm there you sure go. We'd be more than a twinkle in their eye if they worked with us. <laughs> well, listen, I think that's a good note to finish on. I mean, you've taken us on a whistle-stop tour of how to, you know, bring from inception and create a reality around a truly integrated health, social, leisure, medical care service for children with challenging needs, both physical, mental and emotional 
which I think is really good. And more importantly, you've given us a framework to think about how you can harness that learning. So it's not just limited to Newport and Wales, but you can spread it throughout the country. And you've taken this concept, got funding and executed it, which is the hardest part. The easier part is to have the ideas, but the harder part is the doing and you've cracked that. So I'm not surprised the Queen gave you your award, Sabina. You well deserved. <laughs> Thank you. I just sincerely hope we continue to fund it because, as I say, the need is going up and uh, you know, we know what a lifeline we've been for our families and indeed continue to be. So we just hope that we can continue to secure sufficient funds to, to meet their needs. Well, we'll put up a link to the Sparkle Appeal and I'm sure many of our listeners, you know, it's coming up to Christmas. I hope they will give generously for these amazing children. You know, if, if say, Michael Phelps had never got into the swimming pool, he wouldn't have won all those gold medals. He had ADHD and so many of those w other wonderful kids you've talked about today. So thank you very much, Sabina, for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time and telling us about your journey. Thank you very much, Millie, for the opportunity to share our experience. No, it's been really good. And thank you to my listeners for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed that. And we've got lots more to come. We are going to be having a very special guest in the coming weeks. He is the first head of a Cambridge University as principal. He was head of Operation Black Vote, Lord Simon Woolley, who secured His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales for a visit to Homerton Changemakers yesterday. And I was fortunate enough to be introduced with and Lord Woolley, I will be interviewing the orchestrators of the Changemakers programme, Alison um, Wood and Soraya Jones, to conclude this series of the art of living and how we make a difference to people's lives. So I think that's going to be fascinating. So lots to come in the coming weeks. And if you do want to leave a review, please feel free to do so on Apple or write to us at hello at livelongerthepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>